What's up everybody, PJ Braun here, president of Blackstone Labs, and this is the first edition of Ask PJ. Is it Ask PJ or is it Ask PJ anything? It is Ask PJ Braun. It is Ask PJ Braun, so I was wrong on both accounts. The first ever episode of Ask PJ Braun. Apparently you guys have a lot of questions for me, and you like to DM and email me and make it so I, I, I cannot possibly get any of my other work done. So, rather than be mad at you guys and blow you guys off, we've decided to put all these questions together and start a little podcast. So if you guys enjoy it, please let us know that you, that you enjoy it. You can email us at askpjbraun at blackstonelabs.com. And uh, you can even tell me on my Instagram, things like that, how you felt about it when you listened to it. And uh, we will do our greatest job marketing this so you know exactly where to find it and when it will be up. And if it is a success, then I will do my best to keep on answering all of your questions. I have my trusty sidekick here with me, Chris Heron, who we decided very uh, quickly uh, speaks the best in the building. He is, uh, he is a debater, uh, literally. I was indeed. And he is a very eloquent speaker, so you should have no problem uh, listening to anything that he says as far as delivery of the questions, and I will do my best to make sure that I answer them to the best of my abilities. All right, so we've got a few questions here. We'll just jump right into it. Uh, the first question is from Allah Saad. His question is, what was your diet for the first 31 days food-wise? And I'm glad we're getting this one out of the way fast because I have been asked this numerous times since I post my transformation picks. What I need to explain to you guys is this. I have been training for over 24 years, almost 25 years now. It'll be 25 years in February. And I've tried it all, I've done it all, I've done stupid things, I've done intelligent things, I've experimented on myself in ways that many people should not. But because of all of the trial and error, I was able to go into this with a plan that I felt was a sure thing. Now, a sure thing doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I actually knew it was going to be difficult. Uh, and I approached this in a way that I want everybody to know was truly not, quote unquote, safe. And by safe, do I think that I could have died from it? No. However, I do think that had I continued to go on with what I was doing, I could have either caught in a case of mono or perhaps been hospitalized for exhaustion. I was at a point in my life where I had hit rock bottom and uh, I had lost a lot of muscle and gained a lot of just body fat, simply because for most of 2017, I was focused on getting through my divorce and I wasn't really working out anymore. I was eating mostly fast food uh, and I was drinking an excessive amount of alcohol. So if you take somebody who spent their whole life uh, training every day, doing cardio every day, eating clean every day, uh, and not drinking a lot, and you flip the script on them, something bad is going to happen. And that bad thing was basically a solid 40 to 50 pounds of fat gain in a, in a minimum of, of maybe even 10 to 20 pounds of muscle loss. The good news is, and this is something that I, I, I think it's extremely important that I preface this, this whole conversation with this, is that when you have muscle that has been trained for so long, you can wake it up in a different way. So had I been a beginner that, that had never done anything before, I would have approached this much differently. And had this been a client that was working with me, I would have approached it much differently. If there's something that I know about myself, I can suffer. I am not afraid to suffer. I have a very bizarre pain tolerance and I don't really get hungry. I'm able to utilize food as simply fuel for my body 
And it just comes down to psychologically, how much physical pain can I take? So when I went into this, I wanted to go as hard as I could possibly go. So I started outlining mentally my plan. And when I went through it, I realized that although I love ketogenic diets, and I'll probably wind up on a ketogenic diet for the rest of my life, I knew that I could drop weight faster had I gone into a low calorie carb cycling protocol where I integrated what would be considered ketogenic days to take myself into such a low state and then bring myself back out. Now, many people would say that that could be counterproductive because you're gonna feel bad doing that because you're manipulating your insulin levels from so many angles and that is actually correct. However, I know just myself personally that I can get past that and I felt that by doing it this way, I could keep on confusing my body. So when people ask me, what was your diet? It is not a simple answer because my diet changed consistently, not only from day to day, um, but from week to week, sometimes the diet was dramatically different. The way that I first approached it, for the first five days, all I did was simply eat about 25 grams of protein, about 25 grams of carbs, and about 10 grams of fat per meal. My reasoning behind this was simple. I was not really eating anymore. I was drinking booze, I'd have a protein shake here and there, and at like midnight, I'd slam some McDonald's. So my body had gotten accustomed to not really receiving calories when it needed it anymore. My theory was, if I start eating regularly and just give myself food, that my metabolism will start to wake up. So the beginning phase was waking up my metabolism. So that first five days, I actually ate different things at each meal. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich a couple times. I had rice with many of my meals. I had chicken with many of my meals. I had white fish with many of my meals. I tried eating eggs. I had some steak. I wanted my body to get used to eating a variety of food because I'm of the opinion that when you remove all these foods from your diet, all the necessary enzymes that are required for breaking these foods down start to become dormant in your system. Your body is so complex and it's, it's so smart, it's very adaptative. And my body had adapted to taking basically a liter of vodka every day. So it figured out how to process those calories as its energy source and I really wasn't hungry ever. So I had to train myself to eat food again. And I can say that it did factually work because at the end of those five days, not only did I lose weight, but I was also very hungry. Now, in conjunction with that, I removed all alcohol from my life and I immediately started doing cardio. Uh, I started out just walking, just walking outside and eventually progressed into a fast walk and then into an actual jog. And the timing of this was all very interesting because I knew that I wanted to do as much as I could. So if I felt like I had more in me, I would simply keep going. So to break down how I rotated everything once I felt like I was prepped, at the end of seven days, I got on the scale and I was down 15 pounds. And, and, and many of you will be like, no way, how is that even possible? I knew I was though, I could see the dramatic difference in my face. When I got on the scale, I looked at myself in the mirror and I saw a guy who was empty, basically. The guy that was flat. I had lost a lot of water. So you can't just pull off 15 pounds of pure fat, but if you're eating 
sodium-rich foods like McDonald's, and you're not really eating, and you're training your body to hold on to those calories, and you're drinking a lot of booze, you're dehydrating yourself, you're going to hold on to more water, and then all of a sudden you, you, you clean that all out, you're going to flush yourself. And that's what happened. My body kind of detoxed itself. It got rid of what I call the quote-unquote shit weight, and I could see it in my face. So that's when I knew, okay, this was just an excess of weight that, that I was carrying around for no reason. Now we're going to get into the real nitty-gritty stuff. So what I decided, based on years of, of you know, numerous contest prep protocols and things that I've done to myself for photo shoots and whatnot, that I was going to do a three-day carb rotation. I was going to do a low day, a medium day, and a high day. And I knew that for all of my meals, the only protein sources that I wanted to eat were white fish. I prefer red snapper. Uh, and if you want to know the ounces that I was using, I wasn't weighing it. I was eyeing it out. I feel that if you've been doing this as long as I have, you can kind of eye out your amounts of food. And I was probably eating about six ounces of white fish per meal, um, which is probably roughly, let's say, let's say it's 30 to 35 grams of protein, right? Probably something that your average female figure competitor would eat. Uh, I like asparagus, which I knew would also have a natural diuretic effect, so I ate asparagus with every meal. And I digest white rice very easily, so I wanted to make it as simple as possible. I used white rice as my carb source. When I didn't eat the fish, I simply had a scoop of pure isolate. We used the Blackstone Labs isolation. Why did I only do one scoop? Again, I felt that with the lack of intense training, with the lack of calories that I had been getting beforehand, that a good you know heaping scoop of protein, which will get you close to 30 grams, and, and it's pure isolation, so your body is going to use it the right way. I felt that I was getting an adequate amount of protein to support my muscles, and I didn't want excess calories. I wanted the weight off fast. So I wanted this diet to be super, super basic, so I could calculate the changes when necessary, and I didn't want extra variables. Had I been eating red meat, had I been eating eggs, had I been eating chicken, and maybe if I started having different side effects, it would be hard to narrow down where the side effects were coming from because of the excess variables. I wanted as little amount of variables as possible. So just to make my math simple, I decided my low day would be 25 grams of carbs, my medium day would be 50 grams of carbs, and my high day would be 150 grams of carbs. I did this now for the following week, uh, but you gotta remember that's only three days. So now, would I just rotate back into it? In the beginning, yes. So I did my low day, my medium day, my high day, and then I started over. I did that for the first six days after the straight eating period. And the weight was coming off steady, but I felt that I could push it even harder. So what I did was, what would you consider a ketogenic pop-in? So I went my low day, my medium day, my high day. Then I did my low day again. So my low day, like I said, is 25 grams of carbs that I was simply taking from white rice in the morning. After that, I would have two days where there would be no carbs present. So you could call these no carb days, or you could call it a ketogenic phase. The reason that I was calling it a ketogenic phase is that I know when my body is in ketosis, and I could tell that I was in ketosis because I was actually feeling good. I wasn't hungry, I wasn't tired, and I actually had more energy those days than I did on the higher carb days. So instead of going from a high day into the ketogenic days, I would structure the low day in, and then the ketogenic days. And the main change on the ketogenic days was that I would eat two whole eggs in the morning with my breakfast, 
and um, I would actually fry up a couple pieces of turkey breast. Uh, maybe we'll say it was three ounces. Um, so again, not excessive with the protein by any means. And the fats that I used during those phases were very, very, very basic. If it wasn't those eggs at that first meal, there were, was an occasional red meat meal, an occasional salmon meal, but for the most part, it was extra virgin olive oil because I could simply just measure out a tablespoon and know exactly what I was getting. After those two days of keto, I often felt kind of bloated and I often felt uh, tired. Then I would go back into the high day. Now, after the high day, each time it would cause an explosion where I would go to the bathroom like crazy, I would feel energized. It was an explosion awakening my metabolism. This is what I wanted to happen. So my whole plan here, guys, and this is why I didn't write this out online for you, it was, it was based around tricking my body and confusing my body from so many different angles. I didn't want to have days where I was at an excess of calories and then uh, a dramatic low point of calories. My calories were really quite similar most days. The foods were just very different. So the macronutrient sources uh, were being rotated in and out. And this worked consistently the whole time. Um, I actually saw no plateaus. Uh, it was very exciting. And as time went on, the weight started coming off, you know, steady every day. And I would say at the two week mark, I felt I could definitely keep on doing this. At the three week mark is when I was like, man, I'm starting to get really exhausted. Um, and, and I want to say guys that I trained every day, multiple body parts a day, because what I wanted to do was bring all that muscle memory back. And uh, for the newbies that don't know what muscle memory is, when you have trained muscle, that's muscle that's been stimulated for many years, you may deteriorate some of the muscle, you may atrophy some of the muscle, but the fibers uh, are used to the training that they've, they've got. And, and, and they actually will remember the, 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 the load that they took. So your brain will send a signal uh, to those muscles to, to recruit and fire again, and they come back faster. It's not like training them from scratch where they have to learn all these repetitions and these motions and whatnot. So I said, if I can get three months worth of training into 30 days, I can wait, wake everything up faster. So while I was doing this intense diet, I was increasing the cardio the whole time, and I was hitting every body part basically every 48 to 72 hours. So I would do, for instance, back triceps and maybe rear delts, and then the next day I would do chest, biceps, and side delts. And then the final day I would do all pressing moves for shoulders. And then I would throw in a leg day, but maybe I would do some sort of exercise for my upper body and, and, and start over. And when I would rotate everything in, I would rotate in completely different exercises as I wanted my body to remember that it used to do all this stuff. And I was shocking my body from so many angles that it had no choice but to respond. So this is all very dramatic stuff. And at the end of 30 days, I truly am beat up. I'm sore. Um, I'm tired. I'm a little bit grouchy. Uh, but I did accomplish what I wanted to accomplish, which was simply to get skinny. I didn't want to feel fat and unhealthy anymore. And the greatest thing about this, guys, is that when I started out, I had my blood work done. Uh, many of the people that follow me know that I get my blood work done pretty religiously. Uh, my blood work was so bad when I first got it done, and um, it, was, it was actually scary 
how bad it was. The doctor made me come back and do blood work again. They wanted to test me for uh, forms of hepatitis, including alcohol-induced hepatitis, which in all my studies I didn't even know was, was a thing, uh, and I was terrified. Um, at the end of the 30 days, I went back and got my blood work done again, and the doctor called me and he said, do you want me to go over this with you, or you could probably read it better than me, and I, I said, just let me read it, you know, we'll talk after. And when I was reading it, I expected it to be better, but the more I went along, the, the, the more I started smiling more and more to the point where I almost thought it, it had to be a mistake. And then the doctor called me and uh, he had like uh, this happy laugh and he said, congratulations. He said, your blood work's even better than mine. He goes, this is some of the best blood work I've seen in a while. And I, I said, man, it is truly remarkable what the human body can do to recover and to make itself healthy again when you treat it the right way. And he said, you should be very happy right now, man. Everything looks great. Um, he's like, keep at it. Keep doing what you're doing. I was doing a lot of glutathione treatments, which uh, detoxes your body. And, you know, obviously I was taking lots of vitamins and minerals and supplements and, and you know, making sure I was giving my body everything it needed to recover and to, to get back to the healthy state that it's in. But um, I only saw one person that didn't believe that I did this in 30 days. And you guys can actually go back and look at the videos online and see that I was pretty fat. Um, I was wearing a double X shirt a lot towards the end to hide myself. Um, but you know, the, the before pictures speak for themselves. I think I had probably 10 pounds to lose in my face. Um, and now I'm shifting gears and I'm gonna be changing my diet around, which I'll document probably in the next podcast. But uh, my overall objective is to keep on being leaner, uh, to put the muscle back on, and I wanna just be healthy, guys. I want to live a long life. I want to be able to coach my kids' baseball team, or if I have girls, which I probably will, I guess I'll be the cheerleading dad. Um, but, but health is more important to me than anything else. So um, in my quest to be as healthy as I can be, I will be doing the cardio Q&As and answering all of your questions so you guys can be as healthy as you can be as well. So. That is my answer for what my diet and food was for those 31 days. I know it's very complex and it is not something that I request, that I would really want anybody to do. Um, but if you are somebody that needs to lose a lot of weight and, and, and wants to go, you know, balls to the wall, that's how I did it. Awesome. All right, so our second question is from Shane McKinney. Uh, his question is, what is your favorite part of being the CEO of one of the fastest growing companies and what is the hardest part? My favorite part of being the CEO of one of the fastest growing companies is my staff. Um, we've been in business for five years and for the first 10 months of the business it was just me, alone in a room with one product, calling stores and making social media posts. and. Now, we, well, we've, we've at one point actually had more people uh, than we do now, but in, in this building, I believe we have 35 people. Um, outside of this building, when you factor in ambassadors and athletes and everything else, I believe there is an additional 75, 80 people. And everyone that I interact with is a wonderful person. Somebody that I would not only just consider a friend, but people that I consider family at this point. So I get to go to work every day and be around my friends and family and, and truly have a great day, every single day. You know, I, I typically get up early. Uh, lately I've been getting up between five and six o'clock and you know, answering emails and then getting cardio done and going to the gym and doing all these things early. 
And, and really next on my list is I can't wait to get to the office and see everybody. And um, I think it is such a blessing that I get to work with such great people. You know, you know we all hang out outside of work. Uh, there are different little cliques in, in, in different departments that hang out with each other more than others, but overall, we're all a very tight-knit group, and I feel that I have such a good team. Uh, I feel so lucky to have the team that I, that I have, and, and you know, this will come up again probably in another question, but you know, my grandpa, who is somebody that I've always looked up to my whole life, he's a brilliant man, he told me when I was young, he said, if you're the smartest man in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that is a truly important statement because if you are the, the best at what you, what you do and, and what anybody else can do in the room, you can't learn from anybody. You can't get any better. So I have surrounded myself with people that in each area are far better than me in each specialized thing that they do. And because of that, I have trust in them, which is truly relieving. Um, and I have faith that anything that we need to get done can get done. So it's a really exciting environment every day. As far as the worst part about it, it goes really hand in hand with the first part, is that because I love these guys so much, I know that as the ultimate boss, if I make a bad decision, it affects all these people that I love. And um, I have bad dreams sometimes about me like screwing up really bad and having to lay off people that I care about or you know me making some sort of bad judgment call that causes us losing a lot of money. And um, they're, they're terrible dreams um, but it, it, it was kind of refreshing to know that my grandpa, who managed you know a team of about 40 guys when he worked with NASA um, and uh, with Hughes for the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, he said that he had the same dreams. And I think that it's, it's something that many entrepreneurs or, or good business owners probably share that trait because you want everyone around you to thrive because you're thriving. And you don't want anybody to suffer, you want everybody to be thriving together. So. It, it kind of all synergistically flows that when the times are good, everybody's doing good. And if the times are bad, everybody's doing bad. So we want to make sure that we're all doing well together. And um, I try to focus on anything I can to make sure that everybody's happy, to make sure there's no inner turmoils, to make sure there, you know, there's no issues with people not getting along with each other. Of course, there's minor things here and there. But for the most part, this is an amazing, amazing place. And um, my biggest stress, like I said, is just keeping it that way. Gotcha. All right, our next question is from Aaron Bigham. Uh, he says, I, prim I primarily do weight training first and then a little cardio. I was always taught that starting with cardio will deplete my glutamine storage, thereby making me super tired for weight training. Is there any truth to this or is this me being lazy and I'm doing cardio? Um, you're, you're sort of right, but you're sort of wrong. You're, you're not, you, you don't need to worry about depleting glutamine. Um, glutamine is something that you can easily put in your system before you train. Now, if that were true, you could just take 10 grams of glutamine before you work out and, and you'd have an excess of glutamine running around your system. Now, what is happening is that you're de depleting your glycogen stores. But here's the deal. This is why you want to continue to do what you're doing. If you're on a normal diet, and by normal I say you're not on some kind of Atkins diet or a ketogenic diet or specialized diet. Let's just say you're on a normal diet and you're trying to get big and train hard. If you're eating carbs, maybe you're eating fats, you're eating proteins, you know, you, 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 you've got balanced meals, let's say. When you train first, you want as much energy as possible to put into moving those weights. So you actually want your muscles to be loaded with glycogen because that is your body's preferred energy source. So having yourself loaded up with glycogen 
you can push and push and push and the energy will be there. And if you work out for 45 minutes to 60 minutes, or maybe you're crazy and you work out for two hours like some of these young guys, you'll have that glycogen there for energy. Now, by the time you're done, you've de depleted all the glycogen stores, which maybe is perhaps what you meant to say. When your glycogen is depleted, your body's preferred energy source is now gone. So it has two options, tap into protein or tap into fat. Fortunately, your body will typically tap into the fat, which is why after a workout, when you've burnt up all that glycogen, you can get away with doing low intensity cardio and still burning fat. When you do things in reverse, and you do the cardiovascular first, you're going to be typically burning your glycogen stores, and then when you get out to the gym, your energy will be gone for the gym, you won't be able to put the maximal effort into the weight training. And the reason that this is truly bad is that when you're training hard, you're burning a ton of calories, so you're getting the effect on fat loss that you're getting from the cardio anyway. So you don't wanna, you don't wanna shortchange yourself there. Plus, stimulating all that muscle to grow when you're training hard releases growth hormone and IGF-1, which will also burn fat, and building the muscle increases your basal metabolic rate, and that will burn calorie at rest. So all these positive things come from fresh muscles being trained first, so you're actually doing it the right way. If you don't have the energy for the cardio, I can tell you that you can do low intensity steady state cardio after your workout and still burn fat. So maybe just get on there and uh, get a good walk going on, on the incline, on the treadmill. Stay on there for a little while. Maybe after 10, 15 minutes, you'll feel okay and you can keep on going. But when you do it the way you're doing it, you're doing it the optimal way. All right, our next question is from Donovan McIntosh. He says, once you get done cutting down to your desirable goal weight, what is one of the best ways in order to gain lean body mass? And what supplements would you suggest besides pro-hormones? Well, um, we all have our, our own you know, desired look that we want to achieve. And uh, for some people, it maybe is far leaner than others. But once you achieve that spot, the greatest way to maintain it is to focus on building your metabolism. This freaks a lot of people out because the way to build your metabolism is to eat more. Uh, so what you did to get into that desired look, which was most likely eating less, you're now going to have an opposite approach. But the best way to do that is by what I call reverse dieting. So you've got to think about what you did to get yourself down to that desired body weight and back yourself out slowly. So let's just say for the sake of argument that you started at 2,500 calories a day and in the end you were doing 1,500 calories a day and you had increased your cardio to an hour a day. What you want to do is each week you want to increase those calories and you want to bring the cardio down slowly. So let's say the first week you actually leave cardio the same. You're still doing an hour of cardio, but you've added 150 calories back into your diet. You can add them anywhere you want. And then the second week, maybe you decrease cardio by 10 minutes and you add another 100, 150 calories back in. And then the next week you decrease the, the cardio again by 10 minutes and you add another 100, 150 calories in. When you do it like that, guys, 150 calories is like two apples. You know, it's nothing. When you do it like that over a period of six weeks or so, you've all of a sudden gotten yourself to a point where now you're eating about 1,200, 1,400, 1,500 calories more than you were when you finished, but you've done it slow and steady and your body's gotten a chance to really adapt. The problem that I see with most people is they go balls out to get to their desired weight and then they're like, I did it. All right, I'm gonna eat whatever I want and stop doing cardio now. Of course, 
you're gonna shock your body when you do that and you're gonna rapidly gain weight. When you do it slow and steady in this reverse diet, you're, you're basically tricking your body because your body still feels like it's in that diet mode, but it's actually getting an influx of calories. So after six weeks or so, your body at this point is now thriving on the excess of calories because instead of getting less calories each week and realizing that, oh, okay, I'm, I'm only getting this much, it's getting more. And it's, it's utilizing the calories better and it's teaching itself to burn more. So I used to spend a lot of time doing this with women because I would see these terrible rebounds with women after shows and they would say, I don't understand. I, you know, I'm doing all this cardio and I'd be like, what are you eating? And they would tell me and I'd be like, well, look, you just told me you went out and had a cheeseburger and ice cream. Did you have cheeseburger and ice cream the past 16 weeks? And they said, they would say, no, I said, look, here's the deal. You're going to have to have some mental strength for the next, next six weeks. You're gonna eat the same foods that you were eating, but you're gonna be eating considerably more by the time you're done. So if by the time you're done, let's say you only gained a pound, but you're eating a thousand calories more and you're doing dramatically less cardio, that is a huge victory. That also builds your metabolism to, to be stronger. So now you're not gonna be hungry, you're gonna have more energy, and you're getting away with eating more food. This is how you take your body to the next level when you see people that carry around a lot of muscle but stay very lean year round, it's because they've trained their metabolisms to handle everything. And, and the best way to get your metabolism to that point is to actually get down and then slowly bring yourself back out with the reverse diet. All right, our next question is from Marshall Ford. He says, what has been the biggest driving factor in your life overall, not including your bodybuilding career or owning BSL as factors, to get you into the best shape that you can be? And what is the biggest factor driving you to get back into shape? My biological father was a bodybuilder, but he, he left my family when I was about eight years old. And um, before I even go on anymore, I just want to say that my stepdad is, is you know, arguably the best man on the planet. So this, we're gonna be talking about my biological father, not my stepdad. So my, my biological father left. And the reason that I even got into working out was because I was going into high school and I was scared because the high school kids were so much bigger than us and um, I loved football and I wanted to play football but I wanted to get bigger. So I told my mom I need to start working out with weights and get bigger for, for high school. And uh, she was very scared that I was going to hurt myself, typical mom. Um, but she had told me uh, that you know my biological father was a bodybuilder and that she was going to reach out to him and maybe he would teach me. So she reached out to him and he wound up showing up at my house with the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of Bodybuilding and a bunch of like old sand weights. Like you probably can't even get those anymore. I read the whole book, was fascinated by it, put all the stuff together and I set it up in my bedroom and I just taught myself how to work out. Every single day I would come home and I would just work out in my room for hours. I would read the book and I would work out. And I started making really good you know, results fast. So my mom, reached out to my biological father and she was like, you have to see your son. He's just like how you were, you know, I, th I think you'd really like to see it. And so he decided to pick me up one day and bring me to his gym. And uh, for me, this was a huge big deal because I didn't really know my dad and I wanted to get a chance to know him. When I went into the gym with him, I couldn't believe how much weight he could lift. And really looking back at it, it wasn't all that much, but as a young kid and, and not knowing anything about it, it seemed like a dramatic amount to me. And he was doing like 225 for reps on the bench and here I was struggling you know, with 25s on each side in the beginning. But 
train with him, I wanted to impress him so bad, I made dramatic results just from pushing myself so hard. Um, this became a thing that we actually did every day. And uh, my sisters and my brother would say, you know, what's daddy like? Tell us about him. And I'd be like, oh, he's so strong. He's, he's so big. He's the biggest guy in the gym. It's so cool. And he's teaching me everything. And um, this went on for most of the summer, actually. And uh, it was really special to me. We got to bond a lot. And uh, actually, he bought me my, my uh, first Playboy. Um, I stole any Playboys prior to that from my uh, grandfather. Rest in peace, by the way, Hugh Hefner. Um, and I was like brought it home and I was like showing my little brother I'm like look you know daddy bought me a playboy today he's cool you know and uh, you know it, it was it was a really good bonding experience and um, it was close to the end of the summer and things just started to change uh, I, I don't know what it was going on in his personal life at the time but he just started being meaner and um, we would uh, we would train and I started being able to kind of catch him in the exercises and he would do whatever it took to make sure that he beat me on reps and then when I was going he would push me so much beyond failure and be like don't quit don't quit you don't quit you don't quit and just yell at me to the point where it was it was hurting me um, but I wouldn't give up I would try as hard as I can and we would go and play basketball afterwards and um, I would try my hardest and he would foul me he would throw me on the ground I'd be going up for a layup and he'd literally throw me out onto the ground to the point where other fathers had been like, hey man, calm down. And uh, my dad was kind of an imposing guy and there'd be times where I'd be bleeding and I'd get up with like tears in my eyes, but I, I wouldn't get, get give up ever. And there was finally the day when all the fouls and all things aside, I actually beat him. And he was fucking pissed, excuse my language. <laughs> and he said to me, he goes, just remember, no matter how good you get, there's always gonna be somebody that's better than you and that's life. There's always going to be somebody that's bigger and better than you. And I said, well, what if I become the biggest and the best? And he's like, you won't. There's always somebody bigger than better. And, and that's just something that you're going to have to learn. You're, you're so focused on being the best and you need that, that wake up call. And I was like, okay. Uh, I went home and I thought about it a lot. And uh, the next day I waited for him to pick me up and he didn't come. And eventually I wound up um, just riding my bike to the gym and I worked out and you know I waited for him for a while at the end he didn't come and I told my mom I said you know uh, my dad didn't didn't show up today and then the next day the same thing happened so she was pissed mom's very protective she called him and she was like where the hell are you and he said uh, I'm busy you know I'm running a company I don't have time to just work out with him every day he, he already knows everything he's learned a lot he's fine on his own and my mom said man you're, you're really such a piece of shit you're not even realizing that it isn't about working out to him. It's about bonding with his father. And he comes home talking about you like you're amazing because he doesn't know the asshole that you are like I do. And he t tells his sisters and, and his little brother and they all want to know you. And you're just working out with him and now you're going to let it go. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I just don't have time. And so my mom came into my room and she was crying and, and, and she for many years felt very, very bad about this. She felt like she shouldn't have done it that she shouldn't have brought us together in the first place. She said, I'm, I'm very sorry, but your father won't be working out with you anymore. He just doesn't have time, is his answer. And I was like, what do you mean he doesn't have time? We've been doing this every day. This is like our thing. And um, she said that you've learned enough and, and that's it. I'm really, really sorry, PJ. And I sat there for a minute and uh, I cried a little bit. And I said, you know what, mom? Someday I'm gonna be the biggest, best bodybuilder in the world. And he's gonna feel really stupid for what he said. And that day, 
was the day that I knew I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And that was the day that I started training harder and crazier and more intense than anybody. And I carried that on with me for many, 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 many years. Um, everything that I did, whether it was my training business, uh, Blackstone Labs, anything, was to be the biggest and the best. I wanted to be bigger and better than anyone and anything. I would do whatever it took. I would not stop. I made many sacrifices in life, missed out on a lot of very, very fun things because I felt I couldn't break my focus to prove to this man I'm the, the best and you didn't believe in me. Um, finally, I found out that he had a very bad form of cancer called nasal pharyngioma and that he was most likely not going to live for more than five months and I hadn't seen him in years. And it really affected me bad. And I'm going to speed this story up because I've told it so many times and I didn't really know that I was going to tell it today. Um, make what is a truly long story a little bit shorter. I flew home and I found my dad and um, physically he was a fraction of the man. Uh, that I remembered. He certainly didn't look like a bodybuilder and he could barely even talk from all the surgeries that he had on his throat. And I said to him, I have a company now and it's called Braun Fitness and it's very, very successful. And I've made over $100,000 the past three years just on Facebook. I said, I also have a company called Blackstone Labs and we're starting to do pretty good. And I think it's going to be something pretty amazing. And I know you don't really know anything about me, but here's the magazines that I've been in and here's the stuff that I've done. And, um, I did all of this because I hated you so much and I just wanted you to know that you made a mistake by saying that there was always going to be somebody better than me because there won't be. And I just wanted you to think that I was good. Instead, I've been focusing on everybody else thinking that I'm good. I've been focusing my whole life on everybody thinking that I was the best and I did it all out of hate. And it's been a pretty weird life because of that. All these great accomplishments that I've had. They've all been heavily influenced by you and you don't even know who I am. I said, so I came here to find you because I wanted to tell you that I heard that you're dying and you're my dad and I don't want you to die. So if there's anything that I can do to help you, I would really like to do whatever it takes to help you so you can see a little bit about who I am and the person that I am. And um, my dad said, I've always been proud of you and I know that I was a failure as a father. I just didn't know how to come back. He's like, my divorce from your mother was so bad and it broke my heart so bad and I know that I failed. I just truly didn't know how to come back. And for whatever reason, that was enough for me. And I let it all go. And um, I can tell you that letting it all go, I started focusing more on things that I love rather than hate. And it made my life a lot better for a while. And I won't get too much into it now, but things come for full circle because I wound up actually marrying my biological father, uh, interestingly enough. Um, and that's a metaphor, obviously. Um, but now, my biggest factor that drives me in life is not anger towards my dad or anger towards anybody else. Because I've learned that when you harp on anger, you make something more important than anything else. And really, love should be the most important thing. When you, when you think about how you hate somebody, if somebody made you really mad or screwed you over and you just think about how you hate them, you're making them important. You're making that person important. They're, they're gathering up valuable space in your head and in your life that, that you don't have time for. If you put that focus into love, you'll see that your life kind of flows in a different direction. And I, I love 
Blackstone Labs. I love everybody that I work with. I love everything that I do. I love everything about the industry. Um, there are some bad things, of course, about the industry, but I love it all the same. And I'm focused now on making sure that this company can be around for a very, very long time, that everybody that works here has no problem paying their rent, has no problem putting food on the table, can get raises when they're deserving of raises, can have a 401k, can have good medical insurance. These are the things that are, that are happy things that are driving me now. Do I wanna look good? Yes, of course. I spent my whole life looking good. I don't wanna look like a fat shit like I did for the first half of this year. And that's just a personal thing. But really, I mean, that, and a, as my grandpa would say, that and 50 cents will get you a bag of chips. I mean, looking good doesn't really do all that much for you anymore these days. There's a lot more that goes into it that comes from your mental acuity and what you're doing with your brain and the person that you are. So I wanna be a motivating factor in all these people's lives knowing that, man, they love to come to work, they love Blackstone Labs, they love where they're at and they don't wanna go anywhere either. And I actually believe with all my heart that everybody in this building does feel that way. So I feel that Blackstone Labs being my motivation is a similar motivation to everyone in, in this building because I can tell the way they do things that there's a sense of ownership to each person that's here. And that's, that's something that I always really wanted and it's a beautiful thing. So I hope that answers your question the right way. I know it's an odd answer. I, I'm sorry that it's not like, oh, I want a yacht or a new car or something like that, but that's the stuff that really drives me. I already got some cool cars, so, and, and I've, I've definitely banged enough hot chicks at this point, so it's definitely not that. Um, you know, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the best answer that I could give you that makes me, you know, keep on going forward each day. All right, our next question is from Jeremy Lafornia. Uh, first half of this question, you kind of answered already, says, was wondering what your diet consisted of and how to count micros so that we can prep a diet. And second half is, uh, what are your thoughts on clenbuterol as a fat burner? Okay, so yes, as you just said, Chris, we did answer the first part of that question in the beginning of the episode. So if you are uh, skipping ahead, go back to the beginning, and we went very into detail on that. Uh, how do you count micros? It is macros, M-A-C-R-O-S, not M-I. Um, micros are a measurement for like little organisms and stuff like that. Um, your macronutrients, um, here's the deal. Again, when you're getting into counting macros, this is, in my opinion, something that that more advanced people should be doing. And I'm not assuming that you are not advanced, but I can count my macros and I can bust out a calculator and I can nail it and I can do it perfect. And I could probably do most of it even without a calculator just because I've been doing this for so long, but I'd want to be precise and make sure that I'm doing it right. Do you really want to be bringing Safari and a notebook everywhere you go to figure out how much that you have to eat? I really, that's the thing that I scratch my head at the most with people that, that, that count their macros. Now you can follow a few different formulas to find out how many macros that you should be eating. But I want, I want you to understand that the, the nutritionists and the diet coaches and the quote unquote gurus, which is a term I hate, that really push, you know, if it fits your macros and macronutrient training. And this is no disrespect to them because I understand they're running a business. They're doing this because they want to separate themselves and they want to make money, all right? Teaching yourself how to fit a Pop-Tart into your diet is teaching yourself bad habits. It's teaching yourself to stay fat and out of shape. And I'm sorry, I don't care what anyone says. 
You cannot compare the macronutrient profile of a piece of chicken versus a Pop-Tart and tell me that they're doing the same thing inside your body when it's all broken down. One comes alive from the earth, the other one is created in a lab somewhere and then mass marketed across the country and filled with things to keep it alive on a shelf for two or three years. Get yourself on a good balanced meal plan. And, and if your goal is to drop weight fast, I again, I'm gonna go back to the ketogenic diet, You'll drop weight faster like that. You do not have to do it that way. You can follow a balanced meal plan where you're eating healthier foods, but don't teach yourself how to get away with eating bad foods. You're just sticking with the old habits that you had. If, if, if you were eating ice cream and Pop-Tarts all this time and you were happy with everything, you wouldn't have changed what you were doing and been trying to figure out your macros in the first place. So think about it like that. Because I know a lot of skinny guys that can eat all that stuff and they still look good. It's just a, a question of them having gifted metabolisms. The, the clenbuterol question, is it a good fat burner? Yes. Does it work better than many of the fat burners that are out on the market now? I mean, no. To be honest with you, I don't use clenbuterol anymore. And towards the end of my career, I really didn't use clen either. Um, clenbuterol was a asthma medication. And it became obsolete when inhalers came out. They switched everybody over to albuterol, so it's not medically sold anymore. Um, so because it's a bronchodilator, it'll increase your cardio output, which is a good thing, but when taken too much, your blood pressure will drop so low that your heart then races like crazy to bring it back. And that's when you feel that heart racing that you feel when you take clenbuterol. I don't like feeling like that. I don't want my blood pressure crashing. I don't want my heart racing. So I choose to stay away from things like that. Will it burn fat? Yes. Um, are there better ways to burn fat? In my opinion, the good old fashioned ECA stack, which is also illegal. So if you're gonna go illegal, you might as well do the one I'm telling you is gonna work better. Ephedrine, caffeine, and aspirin will, will get you far better results than doing clenbuterol. And it also won't fry out uh, your beta-4 receptors the same way. Um, and, and, you know, make your adrenals fail, fail the same way. It will eventually, but not as fast as the clenbuterol. All right, our next question is from Brian Patron. Uh, it's a two-part question. The first one is, what is the story on how you came across gear? The second part is also, what is your opinion on blunt force trauma training? Two, two very good questions. Uh, I, love the, I love answering the first one. So when I uh, first went to school, uh, I met a guy named Rene Abreu. He was a senior when I was a freshman, and... Um, I had never seen anybody, and I, I was the big kid in my, my high school, and um, coincidentally, he actually was also from the same town as me, but because he was four years older than me, I didn't know him. When I went to college, I literally changed my major because I wanted to, to emulate this guy so bad. He was half Chinese and half Dominican, so he had tiny little Bruce Lee bones but the roundest, you know, Victor Martinez, the Dominican dominator, awesome muscles. So when he told me that he was 198 pounds, my mind just exploded because I was like 220 pounds natural. And I knew he wasn't natural, but he looked so much bigger than anybody I'd ever seen because of how beautifully proportionate he was. So I said to him, I'm like, teach me, teach me, teach me. And I started training with him and, and he was teaching me a lot about nutrition, most of the stuff that I still use today. And this guy was brilliant. He actually helped write one of the National Academy of Sports Medicine's books. Um, he would not let me use steroids. He said, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. Just train with me. And when you hit a plateau, we'll talk about it. Well, we trained for a year. I was like, all right, it's time to do some steroids now. And he's like, look how much you gained this year. Why would you want to blow it now? Let's just keep going. I'm like, I, I want to be like you. And he's like, trust me, just, just give it more time. You'll thank me. 
trained for another year. Now, at this point, I was like 230 pounds, and people already thought I was on steroids. Well, really, all I was using was creatine and glutamine and aminos. And I was like, now I'm ready, now I'm ready, now I'm ready. And again, he said, look at the gains you made this year. You're not ready. Just keep pushing it. See what you can get out of your body. Maximize your natural potential. He's like, you're never going to have this again. He said, I want you to understand that once you do steroids, you're never, ever, ever going to go back. You're never going to want to be natural ever again. Psychologically, you're not going to be able to handle it. And physically, you're not going to be able to handle that everything stops growing the same way. Everything stops, starts hurting more. You're not going to feel as good. Your sex not, drive is not going to be there. You're not going to have the same aggression in your gym. So you might as well get everything that you possibly can naturally, and you're doing great. So I was like, fine. And he was like, I promise you, when I feel like you're really plateauing, I'll teach you the right way to do it. Well, it finally happened. And he got me to stick it out until I was 23 years old. But as soon as I turned 23, I was like, we're doing this. And um, I had done a show already at this point, natural. And I dieted all the way down to 189 pounds. And I thought I looked great. I mean, I was ripped, but I was way smaller than I thought I was going to be. I definitely didn't think I was going to be 189 pounds as a 5'11 guy. You know, I was a light heavyweight. Um, and I actually wound up taking fifth in the show, which was great. because It was a really big show. There was 20-something guys in my class. And all the older guys were like, man, you're going to be so good. And I would tell people, like, yeah, I haven't even, I was proud. I was like, I haven't even taken steroids yet. And they were all like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but I didn't. I mean, I was this 189-pound little, you know, stringy, shredded guy. So he taught me how to do everything. And I did the same exact show a year later, and I weighed in at 198. So I put on 11 pounds of pure muscle, pure good quality muscle. And I did it uh, very conservatively without really using too much stuff, doing it the right way. And so that guy, I'm forever indebted to him. And, I, and I've, I've, I've actually spoken to him later in life. He actually heard me say this in an interview one time. And he's like, I didn't realize I had that much of an effect on you. And he's like, it's pretty cool because you did all the things that me and all my friends dreamt of doing. He was like, you're the one that did it. You know, like when you were a kid, we didn't think that you were going to be the one in all the magazines. And now you have this company. He's like, it's really cool for me and for the other guys to see it. You were kind of like the little kid that just was tagging along in the gym, but you know, you were far better than any of us ever could have imagined. And, um, I owe a lot to him because I could have screwed myself up and, and, and screwed up my natural testosterone and, and all the, the, the gains that I could have made naturally. And I believe that, that, that performance enhancing drugs and steroids work better on thoroughly trained muscle. Uh, and that's why you have people like Kai Green who turn into absolute freak shows because he maximized his natural potential for something like 20 years. And he made an amazing, amazing foundation. So when he finally was in a real plateau, his body was like, all right, we're going to explode with growth. If you don't give yourself a chance to grow and you just throw the hormones in, you're never going to know what your true potential is because you're just relying on the performance enhancing drugs. And then to answer the blunt force trauma training low reps, I'm going to make this one quick and just say it has its place. Do I think that you can build a complete physique training like that? No, I'm a volume guy, but it does have its place. Uh, cycle it in, cycle it out. Don't spend a lot of time on it because the low rep heavy stuff is the stuff that's going to beat up your joints and tendons. All right. Our next question is sort of a follow-up question to a previous one we had earlier. This is from Clinton Allenby. He says, just wondering what your gear cycle currently looks like. And as you answered before, uh, are you using Clen? And if you are, uh, are you mixing it with Blackstone Labs fat burners? Uh, no Clen. Uh, won't, won't be doing any Clen at, at all. Uh, I'm currently doing uh, pretty basic. I do HRT, uh, testosterone sipinate, 200 milligrams a week. That's the maintenance dose. I do one milligram of Arimidex daily, which probably sounds very high. 
but the reason that for that is that my body uh, later in life became an estrogen factory. Uh, and I had extremely high levels of estrogen, estradiol is what they test for, even at a milligram every other day and just on HRT. My theory is that because I used so many higher doses when I was, when I was younger and when I was competing, that my body got accustomed to converting a lot of it into estrogen. So I actually have to stay on that dose probably for the rest of my life just to keep myself in healthy range because excess estrogen can lead to blood clots and all, all sorts of other you know, heart issues. Um, with that, I'm also taking uh, one IU before bed of Serostim, uh, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, one IU of Serostim does more than three or four IUs of any of the other stuff I've ever used. Uh, I really believe that most of the Chinese stuff that I was using when I was competing was fake, and I, I believe that if I actually had Serostim um, when I was competing that I probably would have gone pro and, and been a far better bodybuilder than I was. I mean, it is remarkable. When I first started using it a couple years ago when I first retired and I, I you know I was like oh, I'll do like three IUs a day I'm gonna put on 10 pounds in like five days and uh, I was like what the hell is going on I switched into a ketogenic diet and I was still gaining weight my hands were swelling and I realized that I, I figured it out it was it was from the serostim it's that strong so will I stay on these dosages of everything to be completely honest I think I'm going to increase the testosterone I think I'm going to increase the Arimidex because I don't think my body can sustain the workload that I'm putting on it. And although I did a, what I feel a fantastic job of losing weight, I don't think that my body can train the way I want to and recover the way I want to without bumping the stuff at least to twice what I'm doing now. Uh, but I will not use Clenbuterol, no. Uh, as far as Blackstone Labs fat burners, when I hit a plateau, which I haven't hit yet, but things have slowed down. So I'm thinking probably not next week, but the week after that, I will add in Trojan Horse twice a day. I prefer to go the stimulant free route. And I've also been utilizing more glycolog on my high, high carb days. So those are the two things that I'm really using as far as fat loss right now. All right, our last question is a popular question. Two people asked this. This is from both Brian Benjamin and Tim Ports. They asked, hey PJ, who is your mentor growing up? Also, who is your mentor for business? And how do you feel about being a mentor yourself these days? Uh, this question I wanted to save uh, for last because it was my favorite question. I don't want to say it was the best question because all the questions were actually very good, but this one was my favorite because this is something that has changed so many times for me and different people have influenced me in so many ways. So um, the, the irony of the timing of this is I truly was massively influenced by Hugh Hefner. I've always uh, loved women. I love the, the female body. I think that women are just the most beautiful creatures and I think that men are just, we just don't look good like they do naked. And I, I think that what he did, he changed the world because when Hugh Hefner released the first Playboy with, with Marilyn Monroe, nobody had ever put out naked pictures of anybody like that before, let alone somebody that was a massive you know, superstar who also became iconic. Uh, and she wouldn't have become an icon if it wasn't you know, really for him putting those pictures out. That's what jump-started it all. He made it cool to have sex. Back then, it was a very conservative time. Um, the old TV shows, like uh, the Dick Van Dyke show, for instance, Mary Tyler Moore show, they, they didn't even have married couples sleeping in the same bed. They slept in separate beds. And um, premarital sex was like the worst thing you could do. You're going to hell if you did that. Hugh Hefner showed everybody that sex was fun and cool. Um, and he started a revolution. And he really 
was such a pioneer as far as print, as far as the nightclub scene, as far as so many different things, as far as what he did for, for modeling. You know, he, he pioneered so many things and changed the world. I mean, there, there really wouldn't be uh, a pornography industry, which is a many billion dollar industry, if it wasn't for Hugh Hefner. Because all these things that spawned from what he did, like the raunchier stuff, like, you know, Hustler and these other magazines, you know, they were basically trying to one-up him 10 years later and come out with the next big thing. And, and that opened a lot of doors that some people may argue are bad doors, but I don't. I think sex is great. I think everybody should have as much sex as possible. That's, that's my coach's advice right there. It's fun and it makes you feel good. Um, it'll keep you alive longer, too. Um, so I, I was heavily influenced by Hugh Hefner. It was very sad. Uh, about hearing upon his his death last night, I did a little post where I found a picture of myself and him, kind of in the, in a similar <laughs> uh, setting. And um, uh, he lived a long life, ninety one years, and he lived a great life. So, you know, salute to him. Um, personally, I've always been like really drawn to my grandfather. I, I I feel that he is the smartest man I've ever met. And, and he's so well-read in many different subjects. He helped design the, the Hubble Space Telescope, which I, I said earlier. He's like the rock of our family. He's taking care of everybody. You know, he's a man that speaks with conviction. He's got strong morals. Some people think he's very stubborn, but he believes in what he believes in, and he doesn't back down. He takes care of everybody around him, and I think I've adopted most of those traits, and I utilize them with the people around me. And my grandpa is the one that, that instilled in me that um, rather than giving people that work for you a low salary and, and heavily incentivize them, he always felt that he should give them a higher salary and, 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 and treat them great and make them feel very, very appreciated. Because when you do that, they're so happy in their position that they don't want to let you down. He said, nobody that ever worked for me ever wanted to let me down. I could call any of my guys at 3 o'clock in the morning and say I have an emergency, and they would fix it for me. And I have learned that my guys will do that for me too. He said, when you do it the other way, when you make them feel like it's do or die every day and they've got to hit their commissions, it becomes very stressful for them, and they become resenting the situation. And I feel that makes a lot of sense, and I've gotten into positions where people really disagree with me on that. Um, I'm not going to name names. Um, but... Um, they've said, God, you pay your guys too much. And I said, you know what? Every one of my guys loves going, coming to work every day and they all do an awesome job. You can't put a true number on that. I wish that I could pay everybody more. And as the company grows, we will. Um, we have a, um, a pretty good system with how we give the raises here and um, we make sure that we stay on top of it. We also do a lot of fun things together and we do different bonuses. Um, and, and, you know, I do the Grill Master Friday every Friday when I grill for everybody. And you know, there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on here. Uh, and it's all surrounded around me wanting to give back to these guys. And that was all instilled in me from my grandpa. So my grandpa was a major, major, major role model for me. Now, a role model and an idol are dramatically different things. There are people that I've idolized before, uh, like Anthony Robbins, Warren Be uh, uh, uh Warren, uh, Warren Buffett, you know, uh, Michael Jordan even, you know, these guys are, are, are guys that have done it big and, and taken their, their success and turned it into billions of dollars. I mean, it's hard to not idolize somebody like that and want to be like that. But a role model is somebody that you strive to be like that I feel is, is attainable. 
you know, um, to say like, you know, my role model is Tom Brady. Look, look I'm not going to be the best quarterback in the world and marry Giselle Bunchen. That's that's really unrealistic. So having a realistic role model, I think, is very important. Um, I'm trying to think how I should continue to answer this question. Uh, I mean, do I need to go on or what? I mean, what do you think? Uh, the other question he asked is, who is your mentor for business? I know you answered personally, but as far as a, you know, I, I really didn't have one, to be honest with you. I mean, there's, there's people I've picked things from. And it's like I said, I think that you have to have, you know, attainable, realistic goals with things that you do. Now I can tell you a book that changed my life. Uh, it's called The E-Myth Revisited. And I think that any business owner or entrepreneur should read this book. Uh, the E-Myth Revisited is, a, is why most small businesses fail. And it's, it's, it's very well done and it's an easy read. There are three categories of people in this world. There are entrepreneurs, which is the by far smallest category. There are people that think that they're entrepreneurs and they're not. Um, there are technicians and there are managers. Technicians are people that have a skill they specialize in. Managers are people that, that, that can take those people with those specialized skills and get the most out of them in an organized way. Entrepreneurs have a little bit of everything, but they're visionaries. And it's their vision that drives them. And when an entrepreneur gets caught up in doing the manager's job or the technician's job, he loses sight of his vision and can't grow the way that he is supposed to. And this is why 80% of most small businesses fail in the first two years. If you are somebody that is a personal trainer and you've spent your life learning how to train people the right way and your business is growing and thriving and you decide it's growing and thriving so much that you need to take on a digital marketing platform but you know nothing about computers. So you're spending X amount of hours a day trying to figure this out. And then you're, you're realizing, man, I, I've got to manage my money better. I better start keeping the books. So now you're doing the bookkeeping, right? And you don't know anything about that. You're just, you're just figuring it out along the way. Well, now you've in, in invested all this time into trying to figure out all this computer stuff and trying to get your books right. And they probably are wrong. And I can tell you from personal experience, our books in the beginning were so atrocious uh, that we had to get a forensic accountant who said that they were the worst books that he had ever seen. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, you will not be the best that you can be if you are falling into the categories of the technician and a manager when you are an entrepreneur. Now, the best thing that you can do, and it's very, very hard for people to do this because when you create something, it's your baby. But the best thing you can do is trust and understand that there are people that are better than you in these categories and allow them to do the work and pay them to do it well. Even if it means you're gonna make a little bit less money for a little while. Because if you're paying somebody to do all your digital stuff and they're doing it really well, and it frees up more time for you to do other things, and you're paying somebody that does the books, you can get a, a part-time bookkeeper pretty cheap to handle all that for you, now you have all this excess time, and you're the visionary, so you can focus on other things to make your vision grow. This is the key to true success, not trying to copy somebody else that did something else good. You've gotta learn your own formula, your own recipe. I can give you tips and techniques and things that have worked for us, but learning how to delegate work is a true gift and it's something that even before I even had Blackstone Labs, my grandfather said to me, you're very good at getting people to do work for you. And I said, I think you're meaning that as a compliment. And he goes, no, I am. He's just, you're very good at it. And uh, 
by doing that, it allows me to have more time to excel in the, in the places that I, that I excel, which is really the visionary aspect of it. The ideas, you know, the, the, I'm the idealist. So that to me is more important than emulating any, any, anything else. This is something that you need to focus on to truly have success. All right, and uh, the last part of the question, because I know that you definitely are for all of us here at the staff, uh, how do you feel about being a mentor yourself these days? I embrace it, and I can tell you right now that with all of the bad role models that there are out there, like these guys that are sitting on their knees on the sidelines during the football games, um, I think that I, I welcome it and I embrace it. And I, I've done some crazy things in my life, like we all have, and I've, done, I've made some poor decisions, but overall I think I'm a very good man, and I think that most moms would be proud if their son turned out like me, if their son treated women the way that I do, if their son treated men the way that I do, and certainly if their son treated the mom the way that I treat my mom. So uh, I embrace it, and in fact, I, I welcome it, and it's a role that, that I enjoy. I like speaking publicly. I like being the face of, the, of Blackstone Labs. I like doing the cardio Q&As and mentoring the people that are on there. Um, it's fun for me, and I've, hit rock bottom before and I've gone through some really, really bad times and I've gone through some great times but I've certainly learned a lot and if I could help somebody make better decisions or not make mistakes because of the mistakes that I already made, that's something that, I, that I'm very proud of and it's, it's not something that I want to let go of anytime soon. All right, that uh, wraps up all of our questions. And uh, all right. Very good, uh, very good questions. You guys can submit your questions in. We'll do this again. And I will be, uh, after this first episode, this was our trial run, I will be a lot more uh, in the know as far as where these can be downloaded and, and found and, and, and who to email and whatnot. Um, I think for our first test run, we did a pretty good job. We didn't do a lot of hype behind this, but I'll make sure that it's easy for you guys to find it. And I'll make sure that we're posting about it a lot. I appreciate the questions. They're all very, very good questions. And uh, it is an honor for me to do this, and, and I, I hope that I helped at least one person today. Actually, if I helped all of you uh, that submitted your questions, that's great. And if you were a listener and you want to give me feedback, please do. I'm pretty easy to access. You can get me on Instagram. You can DM me. You can find my email. Um, I'm not going to put it out because I get too many emails anyway, but you'll find it, and you'll get me, and I'll answer your questions. Um, so, as always, I close out all my stuff the same way. Peace out. Bye. Oh, and, and, and finally, guys, if I haven't said this uh, in the beginning, which I don't think I did, the title of the show is Ask PJ Braun, and the email for your questions is askpjbraun at blackstonelabs.com. If you DM them all over the place and send them to customer service and whatnot, they'll do their best to get it to me, but don't make everybody's lives really hard. It's askpjbraun at blackstonelabs.com. Get your questions in, and I will answer them all. All right, now I'm Chris Heron, and we're going to end it there. <laughs>